house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Our daughters are being traded like cattle for the advancement of men. Was determined by her father. It's done. Tonight. Try to please him, if you can. One sister followed the rules. I didn't betray you, you do know that. All I know is the man that didn't know who you were. I was with you in that room for half an hour and came out besotted. The other defied them. And what would you know of great men? I'd know one if he were before me. Do you see one here? Looking, my lord. Ah, oh, found one. I could give you the son you desire. We're sisters and therefore born to be rivals. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows full well that there are no lighthouses in Nebraska. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my shoulder-padded king, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. Listen, the shoulder pads in this movie. Um, it's a lot. The shoulder pads in this movie... The way that this movie made me miss Broadway because I was only spending the entire movie wishing I was watching the musical six. Okay, instead. I knew we were going to talk about this. So, like, I, a lot of people that I know were able to see six before on Broadway before everything shut down. That was sort of like the big thing of the moment on Broadway when everything shut down. I hadn't seen it yet. I probably would have, although I was in a very, like, I have no money and Broadway is expensive phase at that point, where I was just like, I didn't see anything uh, in 2019, 2020. Um, But I would have ended up seeing six. But now I didn't. And I'm also not a, like, listen to the cast recording before I see a show person. I've just I'm normally not that. either. But for this, I was like, well, we may never see it. <laughs> right. But so I'm completely outside of the six conversation and dialogue. And it's one of those things where it's just like, for a while there, like every homosexual in my Twitter feed would be making like Anne of Cleves jokes. And I'm just like, I don't fucking know what you're talking about. And please stop. And uh, so that's my, as I was watching this, I was just like, oh my God. Like if we get to talking about the other Berlin girl and like people are going to be tweeting at us with their like six in jokes and I don't want to hear it. So whatever. Anyway. So what you're saying is you don't need their love. All you need is six. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it's that means. It's lyrics on the show. I don't know what the number six means. I don't get that. I don't. I, I know. I know divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. That's about my extent. Okay. I also know that there are like three Anne's and a Jane Seymour. That's about it. Not that Jane Seymour. That's my joke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cast that Jane Seymour um, <laughs> when the show's been running on Broadway for like four or five years. And you know, you <laughs> right? That's that's your stunt casting. Is you cast uh, real life Jane Seymour as Jane Seymour, even though it's like fully uh, 
whatever, a 60-year difference good. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and I'm going to look this up right now, I was I watched this on uh, Amazon Prime via the Stars uh, app, the Stars mm, channel. I watched it on Hulu via the Stars channel app. I love uh, that option. I what I found out though when I when I looked up the other Boleyn girl. Do you know there was an other Boleyn girl television movie in two thousand three? Yeah, like five years before this one, starring your nemesis Natasha McElhone. Oh, I didn't look up the cast. She's not my nemesis. She's just uh, uh, she. Um, she was our yeah. nemesis in Ladies in Lavender. Yes, because how dare she? Yeah. Um, she played Mary, and then Jodie May played Anne Boleyn. Um, who else was in this that we would know? Jared Harris played Henry VIII. That's good casting for Henry VIII, actually. Yeah. TVH. I think that's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to find other names in this cast that I recognize, and I don't. But yeah, had no idea. So this book was like a thing for like a, a little while before yeah. this film was made. The, uh... Well, Philippa Gregory, the author, has a bunch of these type of books that were popular that are like historical fiction, not really based in um, too much fact that right. we know about history. Uh, case in point, the other Bolaine girl doesn't even get the basic fact of who is the older sister. Right, right. <laughs> that's 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 so funny to me that it was, and I don't know why. Right, that, like, it wouldn't change it, the dynamic, or anything. it's not like the older sister is like canonically always like the schemier, like. Pardon, listen, pardon the slur. I'm warrior not one. someone who gets too hung up on fact in movies. Certainly not movies sure. like this, where no. it's like no, no one's going to this for historical accuracy, right? Right. But like that bothered me so much in the whole well, movie because it's like a clearly you probably just it, it's either you made it for a choice that makes no sense, yes, or you didn't research anything oh, well so <laughs> in writing this. here's the other the thing and i agree with you historical accuracy and especially when you go back this far it's just like i don't care i don't care make a good story give me a good story but that was the problem is this uh the other boleyn girl is trying to be um to turn this kind of you know historical whatever period in england's uh, royal history into something sort of juicy sort of like you know two sisters vying for the same man like trashy kind of a thing almost mm-hmm. but like it doesn't go far enough and also the real life story is actually much trashier the fact that like in actual real life mary boleyn was fucking the king of france first and then mm-hmm. came and like was with henry the eighth i'm like that's a goddamn better story but they did like it managed to like sand it off or like ignored all of these like potentially really sort of juicy soapy edges for a story that was essentially like here's the good one and here's the bad one and mm-hmm. look what happens to the bad one like the fact that this this movie's worse than i remembered it i remember seeing it once and i just being like it's not good, but like it's Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson. I'm having a good time. Whatever. Right. I watched well, it this time. We've seen them give better performances in the time since too. So it's like that's not really. I mean, they had given better performances before this too. Like they yes, they yes. were better on both sides of this movie. But I but wa- like this is before Black Swan even. So right. like Natalie Portman, like right. she's not bad in this movie, but like she's, she's the best one in this. Well. No, Kristen Scott Thomas and the woman who plays Catherine of Aragon are the two best, I feel like, in this movie. Those are the two times when I feel like the movie really, like, 
become something I'm just like leaning forward in my seat to watch. But like of the major players, like Natalie is definitely the best one, I feel like. Even though the way she says besotted is so funny to me. The way she pronounces that word. Because she has that little sort of like, it's not a lisp in her voice, but she, she yes, she used to sort of have a lisp. And I think you can see where she's like worked to correct it. And sometimes when when there are words like besotted and she like, it, she just puts a lot of muster on, on it when she says it. It's very funny. Um, it does feel like a lesser version of her closer performance and that like she's kind of putting on certain different airs to manipulate whatever situation she's approached with in the movie. And like, yeah. there's kind of huge character arc that goes into it, but it's just like, it's so stuffy. I feel like actually the leads all suffer from the movie wanting to be a different movie than like what we were just saying of like, that's the more interesting story or like it, this movie has a weird relationship with like, salaciousness i feel like it's a lot of half measures it's a lot of like it feels like it doesn't quite get there it it, it should it should want to and i wonder if part of that is because this is based on a novel written by uh, like i don't want to like bring gender fully into it but like it's a novel written by a woman that was adapted by a man peter morgan and then directed by another man justin chadwick and it's like i do feel like it doesn't like this doesn't have to be like you know tudor's era uh promising young woman or anything like that but i feel like something that was a little bit more like an neurotic thriller or just like or just like just fully like take the soapiness to the nth degree where it's just like this one keeps trying to tripping up its own soapiness by like cutting back to mark rylance and david morrissey like scheming to get the Boleyns like better status and it's just like Mm -hmm. after especially after i know you didn't watch game of thrones but like after game of thrones all of this kind of medieval uh wrangling for power feels really watered down and just like whatever it's just like eh, whatever like that's not what i'm like they're trying to tell the version that could potentially be shown in like high school history classrooms you know right versus like the one that's a better movie but it, but you're not but, but that's never going to happen also because like the other half of this movie is just sort of like you know sisters squabbling like whatever whatever and I like the dynamic of again it's funny that this is before uh, Black Swan happened because this is very like White Swan Black Swan right we're like good girl bad girl and mm-hmm. the ways in which this movie and like the story of Anne Boleyn is a real story so like we all know that like this doesn't end well for her as we're going into this movie but the ways in which this movie um treats her fate as the end result of her ambition and the end result of her sort of going too far is gross and speaking of game of thrones i remember there was that big huge controversy midway through where there was a there was a rape scene with sophie turner's character and a lot of people got very very upset that like that show was using uh rape irresponsibly and i was always sort of like Maybe, maybe not with that. But, like, something like this movie, where, like, her first sexual encounter with Henry after they're married is filmed as a rape. And essentially, it's like, it's not like she got what she deserved, but it's filmed as, like, a cautionary tale, almost. 
Like, yeah. like, like Anne schemed and Anne whatever, and like this is the hot water she's ended up in, and it's just like that felt so gross to me. It's it, it's the movie never really connects the dots with like I guess the it, it's not even good on a palace intrigue type of you know not as good as it could be no because like those things become problems in this movie because it never really connects the dots that like they were doing this in order to have the best possible life also these are people who like maybe come into contact with like no real people other than like crazy uh uh court people right and like like actual insanity right and everybody is also you know it's i'm not saying this i'm not being eloquent here but like the movie doesn't really um attach a lot of those things and like the other horrible things like the banishment of mary you know the way that women are treated when they either miscarry or like just don't give birth to sons like it's right it's so kind of casual about that in that like it doesn't it wants to be not a girl power movie, but yeah. one that's like, these were women of limited options, and it right. doesn't do that well at all. Right. I almost feel like full-on, like, go into historical fiction with this. Like, fully disregard the actual historical record and, like, do something that, like, is anachronistic or something. Maybe that would be interesting. But, like, just on a baseline level, just, like write the Mary character in a way that makes sense. Like that character makes no sense in this movie, or at least no, or at least like we don't feel any agency with her. Cause we're never really in her head at all ever. We're sort of in Anne's head for a while, but like Mary, is just this kind of like symbol of purity and good intention. And like down to the point where like the King like makes love to her sweetly. And like, he has sex with Natalie, like, like roughly and, and and violating her and whatever. And it's like, do we really have to like draw the like Madonna whore lines quite? Yeah. It's very bent on presenting them in a binary. Whereas like, Um, like Scarlet is dressed in like these sort of like soft gold tones. And then here comes Natalie in like bold, like salacious green and whatever. And I don't know. I mean, it definitely limits the performances too. I think especially Natalie Portman, if the character on the page wasn't drawn so like specifically. I think that she kind of navigates some of those flirtation scenes really interesting in a way that was kind of fun to watch. Yeah. But even you mentioned Mary. See, Anne is the one that I have a problem with like how they characterize her because like even from the very beginning when they present to her, Hey, you're going to go flirt with the King and hopefully have sex with the King. She's immediately like, no, she's aghast by this. She doesn't want to do it. And then it's just like, by a turn, she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to do it. And like, right, right. Well, it's almost like she gets presented with this option by her gross ass uncle and her gross ass dad. And she's just like, kind of insulted by it, but also like semi intrigued. But she's not like, she doesn't seem super into it. And then the hunting accident happens and she gets blamed for it, which like classic typical. Um, and all of a sudden, 
Mary, well, we'll get into this in the other end of it, the whole Henry VIII of it, but, like, the fact that, like, Mary then is chosen to be like, well, Mary, why don't you then become the one we'll dangle in front of Henry? And that's when Anne is just like, no, not her, me. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, the fact that, like, just base sisterly jealousy. And again, that kind of thing can work if it's a more heightened, soapy experience than this is. But that's not what the movie that we got. Not yeah, Anne's investment in the plot uh, shifts constantly and without much um, explanation. But why don't we do the 60-second the plot description now so that we can get into... Because I want to talk about more sort of plot stuff and sort of the Henry of it all and that kind of thing. And I'm cool. one minute on the clock if you are prepared. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, but before we do that, we're gonna uh, telling you we're going to talk about The Other Boleyn Girl today from 2008, directed by Justin Chadwick. Of Tulip Fever fame. Of Tulip Fever fame, our second Justin Chadwick film, yes. Um, creeping up on Ridley Scott. Now he just has to make, you know, <laughs> three more movies to uh, to qualify. Um Written by Peter Morgan, we'll get into it, based on the novel by Philippa Gregory. Starring, uh, deep breath, Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, Eric Bana, Mark Rylance, Kristen Scott Thomas, David Morrissey, Jim Sturgis, Juno Temple, Eddie Redmayne, Benedict Cumberbatch. The cast list that I saw says that Andrew Garfield is in this movie. I absolutely must have blinked and missed him. But um, Yes. Uh, Joanna Scanlon is even in this movie. <laughs> Uh, what's his name from Game of Thrones? Alfie Allen shows up for like half of a second in this movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole thing. Everybody's in this movie. If you were British and between the ages of like twenty and twenty-four, uh, you were in this movie apparently. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it premiered hilariously enough at the Berlin International Film Festival on February fifteenth, two thousand. Out of competition at that. Yeah, um, and then was released wide on fucking Leap Day. Uh, uh, February 29th, 2008, uh, so that it would never be memorialized again, apparently. Uh, After initially being scheduled to be, I think, like a November release for yeah. most of the previous year, yeah. and then unceremoniously dropped. Uh, I blame uh, Elizabeth I and the uh, the hurricane she brought into uh, into court. <laughs> <laughs> she had a hurricane in her, and it uh, it stripped Spain bare stripped because Spain someone bare and tried her and blew uh, the other Berlin girl into February. Yes, exactly. God, what a fucking scene! I watched that scene just randomly as a pick me up so often. The Elizabeth the Golden Age scene. I too can command the wind, sir. I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare if you dare to try me. Like, that's the only really part about that movie that's actually worth it to me. But, like, it's so worth it. It's so over the top. That was the scene that they cho- showed in her as her Oscar clip that she cringed in the audience after they showed it, Yeah, right? I so think fun. so. Stand up. Stand up for your over-the-top self, Kate. Like, you deserve it. No, that's the clip that they played, and then she said that's gross. <laughs> it's not gross. It's over-the-top acting. No, that was the it. Wolfman. That was the Wolfman. That sure was. Gross-ass wolf, man. All right. Uh, Chris, I've put 60 seconds on the clock for you for uh, oh to give you time to describe the plot of The Other Bullet Girl. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. And uh, go. Okay, so uh, King Henry VIII is having uh, issues with uh, having a male heir. 
or male heir, um, the Belaine family says, hey, we could uh, try to get our daughter Anne uh, to flirt with him and uh, hook up with him. Uh, meanwhile, their daughter Mary, played by Scarlett Johansson, is the, um, she's getting married and starting a family, whatever. However, there's an injury when Henry VIII and uh, is hunting at their house, and he's not into Anne anymore. He's into Mary seconds. because she's like nice and soft. And then anyway, um, he gets her pregnant, has a male heir. Uh, male, I can't say heir. Um, and uh, she, uh, Anne, eventually like swoops in after being banished off to France, and then she comes back, and then she's with Henry VIII. Um, gets her sister um, sent away, and then uh, he she can't Ten give seconds. a male heir, even though she has uh, Elizabeth the first. And then he uh, eventually beheads her because she says, "Hey, bro." let's um have sex yeah oh, poor jim sturgis like honestly i'm back to being terrible at the 60 second plot <laughs> description for one don't know why i can't say the word error that didn't the help you of being in time and it's that sure know. didn't help you but the fact that you were still on the uh the uh the hunt scene at the 30 second mark i'm like oh he's in trouble Oh, no. Oh, this is not going to be enough time. My brain time. doesn't work in this way. <laughs> I will say for an actor You guys who... know. You know what the story is. You know what this is. Like, you get it. You get it. Um, get also, it. the fact that, like... It ends with incest intrigue. It does. Poor, like... Where, like... Yeah. Natalie... Uh, Anne uh, miscarries her baby and is already kind of panicked that the king... Is has is moving on to other women and is gonna like kick her to the curb and everybody in England hates her anyway so it's not gonna end well for her if that happens, and so right. she's so desperate to like still be pregnant and like not have the king find out that she miscarried that she uh, turns to her brother played by Jim Sturgis and is like you gotta get me pregnant which a mm-hmm. like I know there weren't OBGYNs in. Uh, medieval england or whatever but like just because you want to get pregnant right now you just miscarried i'm guessing that like now's not the perfect time for you to like be like fertile franny and get pregnant again so like a b um the fact that it all happens in like this one like fraught moment and mary who was like again pure sweet mary is there in the room and it's just like y'all are gross i'm leaving (laughs) And it's just such a weirdly filmed scene. But like, and I was... Jim Sturgis as their brother George is like, like the... he's like, I don't know, maybe he goes kombucha girl about it. <laughs> I was gonna say though, for he's an very actor, confused. for an actor, I don't always love, or at least like who doesn't always make a real impression with me one way or another. I think Jim Sturgis, for, like, the two scenes that he actually has anything to do in this movie, is actually really good and effective. Like, the scene where, like, where he's just, like, I can't do it with him is, like, it's a ridiculous scene to try and sell, and he actually does a pretty good job of it. He also does a pretty good job of, like, being, like, I don't want to marry Juno Temple. She seems like a lot. Like, I really enjoyed that, too, where it's just, like... I was really happy for Juno Temple to be cast off-type because she's the more, like, puritanical stuffy one in this movie. When no. normally, like, how often has she been cast as, like, an underage sex worker? That is true, but you forget that this is smack in the middle of Juno Temple's... um meddlesome little girl who gets bitches killed like that's true thing she got two people killed she in got this movie. she got two people killed in this movie and she got james mcavoy killed in uh in atonement so like 
truly... I would have put that more on Bryony getting him killed. Well, Bryony sure didn't help, that's for sure. But, like, the fact that, like, Juno Temple, like, refusing to own up to stripping uh, Benedict Cumberbatch... Uh, also, by the way, weird atonement reunion in this movie. Benedict Cumberbatch being in this movie. Benedict Cumberbatch being in this movie and, like, the human embodiment of just, like, I don't want to be married to that guy. Like, <laughs> that's really funny. That, like, where Mary's just like, I guess I'm married to him. Cool. Yes, but he he's a rapist in that movie. I'm pretty sure he rapes Juno Temple in that movie. Was that the case? I Then yes. I shouldn't speak of it that Clearly way. Clearly you haven't seen atonement. Uh, recently enough as you should we are all contractually obligated to watch atonement once every six months weirdly i've watched atonement a bunch but it's when i like catch it on like television on like a pay cable movie station or whatever and it's like already past that point so because i remember this part later in the movie where like juno temple could come clean and she doesn't there's well, a part because of that, she eventually right? is like married to him. That's and has the thing. Children. That, see, that's what got me. So, confused. like, there's a whole yes. toxic right. thing there, and right. that the movie, right. in fairness, does like blur that line. Tell you all of that in like five seconds. It does. It does. Um, you're right. But you're right. I misspoke. But anyway, Juno Temple, adjacent to uh, uh, lies, falsehoods, and fallacies, getting people killed. I wonder how many people are responsible. Uh, she's responsible for their deaths in The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, you could, you know, draw some lines. Although I don't, you know, uh, prison culture uh, was too hard in Gotham on uh, uh, lady cat burglaresses. So I don't want to. I don't want to put any blame on Juno Temple in the dark. You know, we really could have changed her typecast if we cast Juno Temple as Bane. (laughs) I would like to see her do that dialect with the mask. (laughs) Frey your city. I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't do the Bane voice. I no, I just <laughs> Juno Temple. Yes, should make a comeback. I kind of miss. I like. I, her. I do think she's good. She's always good. She's just playing the same. Thing. Juno Temple is currently on Ted Lasso and is rad as hell on that show. Like oh, I really, really love her. Not watching it. Ted. Lasso. She's a she's a footballer's wife essentially, and she is very, very good and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Juno Temple isn't uh, in uh, this movie ton, so we don't have to devote too much time to her. But I did want to mention because you got to the end of the plot description, there are two things in the postscripts at the end of the movie. This is one of those movies with like six title cards worth of postscript. One of them is. Uh, talked about how Henry breaking with the Roman Catholic Church changed, changed the, the face, face of England, England forever. And forever. all I wanted was the, like the next line of that to be, today we call them Anglicans. <laughs> <laughs> today we call it Protestantism. <laughs> but the other thing was at the very end, which, by the way, this is the this only is movie... This is when I felt that today we call them computers moment. Okay, um, but like this is the only movie in creation that has ever imagined England as being filled with flowing fields of golden wheat, <laughs> which I thought was just like we're in England, right? Like, isn't this just like Mossy Hill after Mossy Hill? Like, where did they import the Terence Malick esque uh, golden wheat fields for children to run around and frolic in? Okay, but that's how okay. we end this movie. Yes, but doesn't Elizabeth, like the beginning of Elizabeth with Blanchett, isn't she in a wheat field? Isn't there a a shot of her like looking back over her shoulder at Joseph Fiennes in like flowy garment? I'm gonna take your word for that. It's been a while since I've seen field. 
It's possible. It's been a while. Movies um, with wheat fields versus movies with generalized fields. <laughs> I guess my my perception of uh, sort of old England is very uh, Jane Austen, sort of like, or, or um, the Bronte sisters and these just sort of like green rolling hills or whatever. But apparently uh, the English countryside is filled, of, filled with golden wheat fields and good for them. And so, yeah, the end of this movie. But I bring it up because my memory of the Shakar Kapoor Elizabeth has that thing of like her growing up in wheat fields and like where they end this movie yes. on the like motion freeze frame of baby Elizabeth enjoying her life. I was like, are they directly trying to draw an analog to a movie from a decade ago? I wanted them to like, to like appropriately enough for 2008, like Benjamin Button de-age Kate Blanchett. So like, she's just a little, like a little toddler with Kate Blanchett's face, like running around this wheat field. Cause it did feel very much like tune into our next episode or 1998's Elizabeth. Like, that's... Well, okay, but, like, you also mentioned the postscript. The whole... The postscript... Everything regarding Queen Elizabeth in this movie drove me crazy because when Queen Elizabeth is born, there's, like, a complete shift in the score to be, like, this sentimental thing as it stares at this baby. And it's like, yeah, we know... We know that this is Queen Elizabeth that was just born. We get it. We know. We knew that this was happening today. They wait so long to give you that last postscript of... Elizabeth. It's like, yeah, yeah we fucking like, know you freaking well, maniacs. The script basically ends up being like Eliz- the, his next heir would be uh, a daughter would, named a daughter for 45 years completely going over Queen Mary. Oh, um, yeah. Like like the collar pulling uh, ooh, like what happened with Queen Mary? Yeah. Um, but then it was like uh, it does say her name and like literally I said out loud Today we call her Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> it all felt very like, but it's just like, they, they just like, they draw out that moment so, so long. And it's uh, Mary Boleyn, Scarlett Johansson, who has now married uh, poor Eddie Redmayne, who like, sorry, kiddo, like you can't keep up with this girl. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like you are not a match for her, but okay. Um, like sort of like running around and again, these golden wheat fields with their children. And I love that like, they have other two other kids who like don't get named and like who gives a shit like she apparently gave birth to the male heir of Henry VIII and like no one cares like okay it's just you know footnote in history which you know appropriate fair whatever um yeah it's not a good movie it's it's a significantly less good movie than even I thought initially and I initially didn't really think it was very good so like see it's a frustratingly bad movie because Almost at every moment that you're watching it, you can fully visualize the version that is just yes. a little bit different in one way or another, and it's yeah. a really good movie. Well, and also, like... Or at least a very entertaining one. I was super, super amped to see this movie in 2008, because, like, right. you put Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson as sisters in a movie where they're, like, part of the royal court or whatever, it's just like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking see that movie. And then, like... The other thing, so, like, the fact that this isn't a very good movie, and it was, like, not reviewed as such, like, 43% Rotten Tomatoes, 50 Metacritic, like, it was dead in the water. And then it opened, besides that, it opened in February, like, this was an Oscar buzz movie, like, only from, like, when it was scheduled for the fall. Right. Like, because it was. 
This is less common now, and we've talked about this before, but, like, there's plenty of movies that were, like, this had Oscar buzz movies that when it got closer to the fall, they got pushed into the next right. year, and it was always immediately, like, oh, well, we know what Oh, oh warning sign. Yeah, now we'll take all our expectations off of this. Yeah, now that it, even just, like, a decade or so later, it feels way more even corporate, where it's, like, the studios will, like stick their heels in the sand in terms of when they schedule things on the calendar and they don't really move in that way. Right. Or they'll just let them die if it's like failed Oscar buzz movies. But I was Um, looking at like why the expectation was and like there's we'll get into the talent involved for sure but just like the fact that movies about English royalty tend to have like a little bit of a a leg up or at least like we keep a special eye on them because in general Hollywood has been really interested in that and the Oscars mm-hmm. have kind of flocked to that and like I sort of took a little bit of a look back through history there were fewer best picture nominees about the Royals than I really remembered but like in the like 2000s and like late 1990s where again we mentioned Elizabeth Kate Blanchett getting two nominations out of both of those Elizabeth movies uh, for playing Queen Elizabeth the first uh, around that same time Judy Dench wins her Oscar for playing Queen Elizabeth the first in uh, Shakespeare in Love Helen Mirren wins her Oscar for playing Queen Elizabeth the second in 2006 and like that's sort of maybe a little bit of like the modern flavor of royals in oscar movies because there's also like judy dench and mrs brown 1997 her first nomination where it's just like queens in their older uh years that kind of thing judy dench recurs almost kind of almost got nominated again for victoria and abdul uh we mm-hmm. will history will absolutely forget how close that came to happening but that was like globe and sag nominations right and BAFTA? I'm sure BAFTA. I would be shocked if it wasn't BAFTA. Uh, I forget if it was BAFTA or not, but it was definitely Globe's comedy, yes. which was bullshit. Yes. And that movie's terrible. Yeah, that movie's not good. Um, But then you look back to... And there was also stuff like that was sort of on the periphery, like The Young Victoria, which got costume nomination, but like didn't... Costume win. Costume win, you're right. Sandy Powell for that as well. Um, I already have two of these. <laughs> she's the best. Um, Cindy Powell said, I already have two of these, and then went on to do, like, a treatise about how uh, it's not all costume designers that do uh, movies about royalty or whatever, and that uh, contemporary costume design is just as difficult as period costume design. Yeah. Which is funny, because, like, she, yeah, she's gotten uh, rewarded for uh, period uh, a bunch of times. Um, that was 2009, right? The year after the other Bullen Girl, Young Victoria. Yes, I believe. Let so. me look that up. That Sandy was Powell one. Also, is the costume designer for this movie? Yes. Um, good costumes, even if I was sort of irked by how they were utilized in this movie. But like, that's not Sandy's right. fault. Um, but like Emily Blunt was sort of on the periphery of Best Actress that year. She got a Golden mm-hmm. Globe nomination for the Young Victoria. That sort of thing. But if you look back, especially in, like, the 1960s, like, Best Picture was pretty often populated with movies about the royals, whether it was, uh, obviously, Anne of the Thousand Days is the one that you think of when you watch The Other Boleyn Girl, because that was obviously about Anne Boleyn. That was 10 Oscar nominations for that, including Best Picture and Best Actor nomination for Richard Burton, Best Actress nomination for Genevieve Bujold. 
And The Lion in Winter was nominated for Best Picture in 1968, wins Best Actress uh, for Catherine Hepburn in The Famous Tie with Barbara Streisand. Um, A Man for All Seasons wins Best Picture in 1966, which is like the title character in that isn't a royal, but it's like the whole thing about Thomas More is his uh, interactions with Henry VIII and like over Mm -hmm. the, the split with the church and all this sort of stuff. So like same subject matter uh there's a movie like beckett in 1964 so like 60s oscars were very 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 into the royals and i think since then everything with that subject matter is at least being like well maybe because like they've gone for it before and that definitely i think played into a lot of why people looked at the other boleyn girl and was like oh costume drama with a couple actresses who have really like made their mark recently natalie was after her closer nomination, her Oscar nomination, and like Scarlett was after her big 2003 breakout year with Lost in Translation and Girl mm-hmm. with a Pearl Earring, so it makes not sense. Not quite at the point of when will Scarlett Johansson finally be nominated, right? Or even to the point of uh, we need Scarlett Johansson to stop speaking in public. Um, all of those things happened. I want to get into the, this is before then, <laughs> right? So. Let's get into the Scarlett Johansson thing for a second. Unless you have, do you have anything else to really to say about the the sort of the royals of it all? With Oscar? Uh, not really. Just to like maybe reinforce what you've been saying about it. Like, it's always formerly been Oscar's thing, but it still kind of is because there's always that potential for like yes. a handful of nominations, and if it's good, it might translate to best picture because like right. obviously costumes are come into mind when like these type of movies get predictions but like yep. you see it in score cinematography art direction and like yep. if it's a good one it could potentially always be best picture mary queen of scots is a really good recent example of that where it's like uh you know the movie didn't really hit with audiences or really with critics it's not like critics hated it but like it was definitely a middling... Talk about nominations that uh, almost happened that people fully forget almost happened. Right. Margot this Robbie is what I'm saying. had to have been sixth place. Margot Robbie came very, very close. She got a SAG nomination. Um, and BAFTA. And, then, and what did it get nominated? It was makeup? What did it get nominated uh, for? I think it was nominated for um, the wig reveals and her right. um, whatever pestilence she has. I forget. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it was a costume nominee. Though the costumes in that movie are it was wild. It was Alexander it was? Byrne was nominated okay. for costumes, and then it was also nominated for makeup and hairstyling. Um, yeah, Margot Robbie got a BAFTA nomination, a SAG nomination, and did she get Critics Choice? I don't think she did. Yes, no, she didn't. Sorry, uh, Critics Choice went for the same categories as uh, the Oscars did: hair and makeup and a costume. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good example of the fact that like even now today when like the royals are kind of relegated to like oh TV's doing the royals now. I mean talk about Peter Morgan which we will, but like the crown mm-hmm. is sort of where we put all our uh royals fetishization now. Uh but movies are still, you know, can still hold that pull. So but let's talk about Scarlett Johansson for a second because this is a really interesting sort of point in her career and i think her career is more interesting maybe than we kind of almost want to talk about these days because she is not everybody's favorite uh, public persona let's say she tends to put her Mm -hmm. foot in her mouth a lot about things she tends to um 
take appropriative roles that uh, get people really pissed off. And um, I don't really want to get into that exactly, but like her career specifically is really interesting. We've talked this about is her before all that too. Right. This is even before her getting in with Woody Allen. No, it's after her getting in with Woody Allen. When was Scoop? Scoop was oh, 06. No, wait, match point match point first. was 05. Match point So match... it is after. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So just to sort of like walk you down the line. Obviously she was in things. She was in things like The Horse Whisperer and Manny and Lowe and stuff like that, which were on like, you know, uh, other different radars. But her big breakthrough is her first breakthrough is in two thousand one with Ghost World and Man Who Wasn't There, when that was sort of like, then she started to like ping on people's radar. And then obviously 2003 is the big breakthrough with Lost in Translation and Girl with a Pearl Earring. Uh, The irony being those two together helped make her like a thing, but those two together also is why she didn't get an Oscar nomination, almost certainly, Mm -hmm. uh, because they were sort of in competition with each other and she was splitting her own vote, which is too bad because I think she's great in both of them. I think... uh, Girl with the Pearl Earring is one of the reasons why she ends up getting something like the other Boleyn girl, I think. But yeah. Lost in Translation, I mean, whatever. I've talked about it before. She's so good. Uh, 2004 is a rough year. We've talked about A Love Song for Bobby Long on this podcast, where she does get a Golden Globe nomination, but like, it's not a good movie and nobody likes it. And nobody sees it. <laughs> She's also in that movie A Good Woman, which is... Also a costume drama? I've never seen that movie. It is Helen Hunt? Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. That's exactly who it is. It's Helen Hunt. Okay. Um, that was, again, a lot of people sort of looked at that ahead and was just like, oh, costume drama, Helen Hunt, Scarlett Johansson, maybe nothing comes of it. Uh, In Good Company gets, I think that's a, like a wide release movie, but like nothing comes L- of it. Very end of the year um, yeah, right. December. It's her and Topher Grace and, and her dad. Dennis da- Quaid. We should talk about this movie sometime. We should. It's that her dad is Dennis Quaid and he's his boss. He's Topher Grace's boss. Yeah. Uh, no, I believe Topher Grace is Dennis Quaid. That's the twist. Boss. Of course. That I was like, that seems like a really traditional premise for a movie. No, you're right. The, the twist is Topher Grace is Dennis Quaid's boss because uh, uh, capitalism sucks. Um, okay. 2005 is a real up and down year. She is the in, in the island, which is like even among Michael Bay movies, that's the derided one. That's the one where like nobody sticks up for the island. Everybody's like, that's bad. Um, but then she's also in Match Point, which is like a real career spike for her, where she gets a Golden Globe nomination for supporting actress. She was really in contention for an Oscar nomination. I thought she would have deserved one. I think she's really good in that movie. She was never probably as close as you might have expected in hindsight, because she probably ended up being like seventh or eighth. That's possibly true. With um, only a Globe nomination. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and 2005 for Supporting Actress is a really like uh, competitive year. Shirley MacLaine yeah. was also in contention that year and doesn't get it for... Uh, in her shoes, we've talked about this all the time miraculous before. in her shoes, right? So match point sort of ticks off as you mentioned. She has this sort of like mini Woody Allen era, which talk about you know things that don't endear her to the public now. It's just like oh right, remember <laughs> she was like Woody Allen's favorite person for a while, and she's in match point in 06, scoop in or match point in oh five, scoop in oh six, which people didn't really like as much and she's playing the like Woody Allen uh she's playing a Woody Allen analog yet Woody Allen is also in that movie where like her character is like you're kind of like 
girl Nebishi and like what's going on there where she's I don't know it's an odd odd characterization in that movie um I kind of like it it's not bad I never saw it can't imagine I will at this point yeah at this point there's really no need um and then she's also in the Black Dahlia and the Prestige kind of playing similar roles in that right where she's like Mm -hmm. the intriguing woman who like isn't central to the plot exactly she's sort of a like a, she's sort of like a femme fatale, right? In the Black Dahlia, both of those movies are way more interested in the men, the male of characters. Story, yeah. though yes, yes, the yes, women yes. are what's the most interesting, probably. Yeah, she's definitely the least interesting part of the Prestige by quite a bit. Like she's really eclipsed by Rebecca Hall, I think, in that movie, Who's which is fantastic. interesting. They both star together in Scarlett's third Woody Allen movie, which is uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which I really like a lot. Um, and I think both and of them the are same very years good in it. Movie. And is the same year as the other Berlin Girl, right? So like, uh, uh, that's Scarlett's good movie in two thousand eight because she also has uh, the the Spirit, which is a very forgettable sort of comic book. That was Frank Miller, I think, directed that or something like that. Yeah, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, Gabriel mocked if I'm right. Correct. And then sort of then her little she's like about five years, sort of like. Semi in the wilderness, where like that's the period where she gets into the Marvel universe, which is obviously very good for her. But everything else she makes is just like he's just not that into you. And we bought a zoo, and even like Hitchcock, which was like received decently well, but like not for her. Like she plays uh, Janet Lee in Hitchcock, and like no one remembers that. Like I remember more people talking about Tony Collette in that movie. Yeah, right. Like almost everybody overshadows playing the iconic Janet Lee. The thing about Scarlett Johansson is like she tends to, whenever she's in a big ensemble movie, she tends to get overshadowed. Like she does best, Mm -hmm. and we'll see that when we move on to sort of her later in career stuff. She does her best when like the spotlight is really on her, and or she's asked to do something. That's the other way thing. left field. Like I would even yes. classify what she's doing in Don John as left field for the type of things that she had done. Um, That's and the I think thing. We're both in agreement that she's good in the movie. 2013 sets off this like two or three year period for her, which is like easily, I think the most interesting of her career where she's great in Don John. I think she's great. I think that's a movie that really gets into like, I think Scarlett Johansson's a really talented actress, but I think she's been mi- like miscast or misused in a lot of things. Where like a lot of things just like don't seem to know how to use her to her best advantage, and like Don John like nails it and like really taps into a role that she can like kill it, and she really kills it. I think and Don John, I think mm-hmm. she's incredibly funny. Uh, that's the same year also that she is the voice of the AI in her where there was actually some talk of, like, should we give a voice performance an Oscar nomination? Because she was, like, she was that good and people she really She makes a movie that. work. Yeah. Yes, she does. A movie that, like, in many ways I feel like maybe shouldn't work. And, like, I, it does in part because of her. And then her 2014 is rad as hell, where it's uh, Under the Skin, which gets released in 2014 after playing festivals in 2013. Her uh, best performance her best performance it's really fast it's really fascinating and like so different obviously from something like don john so like it really showed her range that she would go from like that to that in like the span of a year 
Um, she's also in Lucy, Luc Besson's Lucy, which I think is rad as hell, and I think she's really, really good in that also. And that did something for her career, too, because, like, at this point, she's done multiple MCU movies, but, yes. like, hadn't had a hit that wasn't an MCU movie, and that movie right. was a hit. And I think Lucy is when, I think the one-two of, I can't remember what year Age of Ultron was. Age of Ultron might have been 15. It was um, 15. So, like, Lucy in 2014 and then Age of Ultron, which has that scene where everybody got really mad that the movie was sort of uh, saying something about Natasha's uh, uh, infertility, that it was, like, uh, bad. I don't know. It was a really, like, it was an odd little weird disingenuous argument that people were making about that movie. But I think those two things back to back really drummed up this whole Black Widow should have her own solo movie. Why doesn't Black Widow have her own solo movie? And I think Lucy was a big part of that because she -hmm. was able to headline a movie by herself and it was a really big success. And people were like, well, she did it there. Like, what's your argument for why Black Black Widow can't have her own movie? Um, And then weirdly, after 2014, it's this other, like, five-year, except for Marvel, five-year kind of low point where, like, I really like Hail Caesar, but, like, she gets kind of lost in that. That's another movie where, like, it's a big ensemble and a she lot of people a are really good. that made me laugh my ass off, though. Oh, I don't think she's bad in it, but I do feel like nobody really remembers that movie for her. You remember Alden Ehrenreich and Rafe Fiennes and Channing Tatum and Tilda even and a lot of people before you get down to remembering Scarlet. I even remember, like, Frances McDormand getting her... Uh, <laughs> Her sort of Getting neck, her bow caught in the in the editing machine. I think that's such a <laughs> funny scene. I love Hell Caesar. I know a lot of people don't, um, but I really enjoyed that movie a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and then 2017 is so rough for her. Uh, no pun intended, but like that's the double feature this from is Hell. When it really kicks in. That's like. <sighs> feel great about scarlett johansson she's in rough night and ghost in the shell both at the same time and it's just like oh girl um rough night isn't like rough night has its moments it's not a terrible movie but like it's not a great movie um but it also had the extreme uh ill fortune of opening of happening the same year as girls trip and every single person to a to a person was just like yeah girls trip is the one we're going to be paying attention to and liking and enjoying because it's a lot better and it was good it had actual characters in it which like rough night does not yeah and they were both like very very similar uh themes um and then 2019 like comeback story where she's in I know we've disagreed about Marriage Story. We don't have to get into it again. But, like, she's... We also disagreed about Jojo Rabbit. Probably strong, more strongly disagree about Jojo Rabbit. Maybe not on the podcast, though. But, yeah, I do enjoy uh, Jojo Rabbit. And I think she's very good in that movie. And I think uh, the the double nomination for Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit in 2019 was not something that I think anybody was, like, rah-rah cheering about. But, like, I kind of can't find fault with either one. I think she's I good do feel like that double nomination doesn't happen if she had been mar- nominated before. That's very. If true. she'd had if she'd had a nomination for something else, I think it would have been one or the other for that movie. Yeah. So I don't know where do you come down. I know she's you know a, a little bit of a divisive figure. I think ultimately she's really talented, and given the right role and the right you know surroundings around her, like she can 
deliver something really, really good. I mean, I definitely really liked her in Marriage Story, um, and it kind of made me excited for her again. Not excited to ever, like, read a quote that she said, but, like, that she <laughs> right. got to do something different. Um, yeah. You know, that than she'd done before. Not, like, to the degree of Under the Skin, but, like, yeah, felt like a pivot in a way that we'll see what happens next. Right. If Black Widow is ever released. Right, if we ever, ever thing, get to see like, Black Widow... That's the other thing about, like, just the fact that, like, 2020 happened, Black Widow doesn't get released, and now, like, WandaVision and Elizabeth Olsen, like, very deservedly, I would say, have, like, completely, like, eaten the lunch of any Marvel movie that was going to be released in 2020 and now hasn't been released yet. And, like, because also from what we know of, from, like, just casting, that Elizabeth Olsen is going to be a major... Uh, character, major star in the Doctor Strange movie mm-hmm. that like, so like WandaVision has now become the the thing and it is going to be the thing that moves us into the next set of movies and I think because of that, like Black Widow has really, really become an afterthought in a way that like, I really, yeah. I feel bad for her, I feel bad for Florence Pugh and it's just, like, it's kind of a bummer that, like, we fully moved on. And even to the fact that just, like, why haven't, like, they had a, you know, a female-led Marvel movie? And it's like, well, that now has happened with Captain Marvel. And now that's also happening with, like, the TV, like, probably the most widely enjoyed Marvel thing in a while is WandaVision. And, like, that's obviously Black Widow being... is also, like, a prequel. So, like, at this point, it's hard yeah. to get super It happens outside of what the story will be. Right. It's outside of the timeline of uh, Avengers Endgame to, to where we are we now. We like yeah. Florence Pugh. We want to be seeing her doing other things than being stuck in superhero movies. Right. Because, like, right. it definitely seems like they're going to be launching her towards, you know... Right. Whether it's like, yeah, Other whether movies. there's a, a young Avengers kind of a thing happening and whether that character is part of it, I kind of have no idea, but I'm intrigued. Um, so, yeah, I the, also <laughs> the fact that Scarlet is dating Colin Jost is so both married. like, oh, are they married? God, I'd see yeah. the fact that I like push that out of my mind. He's one of my least favorite people ever, not ever, but like. Like in world history, I'm sure there were a lot worse people than Colin Jones. But like right now, in terms of people who are on my television regularly, one of my least favorite people. And um, so that really, really, really uh, doesn't help. It's sort of another piece of the uh, Scarlett Johansson media presence puzzle that uh, is not fun to look at these days. So yeah. Right. Um, but I, I do want the best for her. I genuinely do. And. Uh, I don't know whether that's, uh, you know, the Lost in Translation fan sort of holding on. But, like, I think she's incredibly talented. And I mean, to kind of pull it back to this performance, like, I'm glad she's not really doing movies like this anymore. Because, like, I even <laughs> I thought a lot about the girl with pearl earring while watching this. And that, yeah. like, when she was younger, she was playing a lot of these, like, ingenue roles that, like, even though I don't think she's bad by any stretch, it's just... It doesn't not suit her. That interesting, right? right? It like, does she's not, not play to her strengths. Ever embarrassing herself in these movies, but like, right? It's not anything to get excited about. She's so uninteresting in this movie 
both in character and in performance. And every time Mary's at the center of a scene, I'm just like, okay, like, can we move on? Like, to literally any other character, give me Jane Parker, give me Anne, give me um, Kristen Scott Thomas, who was just like, how many Kristen Killing. Scott Thomas have we done? Or do we just talk about Kristen Scott Thomas a lot? This is our fourth Kristen Scott Thomas film that we've talked about. Uh, after Random Hearts, Salmon Random Fishing Hearts. in the Yemen, and then most recently Life is a House. Yes. We love her. And this movie would be so much better if she was like 60% more of a character or more of a presence in this film. Mm-hmm. So that's too bad. Did you agree with me that the Catherine of Aragon scene where she's uh, on her way to to stand trial for uh, treason or whatever? And uh, one of the passed, best scenes in the movie, definitely. Where she opens the scene and goes, the Boleyn horse. I was like, yes, bitch, come on, do it. <laughs> Drag them. It is a really good scene, though, right? Uh, I want to. The actress, um, we should say, is Anna Torrent. Yes. Uh, she's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, I had never uh, heard of her before this, and I don't know if I've seen her in anything since. She's obviously a uh, Spanish actress, and I'm looking at her credits, and I don't see a ton of stuff that I would have seen. But, like, yeah, she fucking rules in that scene. She's really, really good. Um, Poor Catherine of Aragon. Justice for Catherine of Aragon. I don't know if there's a whole thing with six. Maybe she's like the bad one in six. I don't know. But um, I really I like think her. there is a bad one in six. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can't say justice for Catherine of Aragon just from this movie. I don't know enough about her in history. Well, um, sure. I guess, like, fine. Come and cancel me. Good person in this movie was actually bad. Come and cancel me if uh, Catherine of Aragon ate babies or whatever and I didn't know about it. And uh, I'm... I'm yes queening uh, a terrible person. A baby I'm sure eater. She, I'm sure she had terrible opinions about uh, Me Too or something like that. So, uh, uh, five hundred years ago, I'm on. I'm on the hook of that. Okay, um, let's talk about Peter Morgan for a second. Who was like the thing at this point? Like, was very yep. very. Peter Morgan is so hot right now. Coming off of, um, he had written obviously the queen which we didn't Mm -hmm. quite know at that moment that um the english royals of the 20th century were going to be his cash cow that like he's just gonna like write about them forevermore um but at this point nixon was also a theater sensation right frost nixon was also uh yes on broadway uh Mm -hmm. tony award-winning thing and then the queen happens and it's a best picture nominee wins the oscar for helen mirren everybody's like and also he was a co-writer that same year on the last king of scotland which was another Mm -hmm. adaptation he ends up doing a lot of adaptations where other boleyn girl obviously one of them he had done rewrites uh the next year on state of play the remake of the british miniseries which Mm -hmm. was that originally his miniseries the british version hold on not that he's billed for no that was paul abbott sorry i'm thinking of different uh uh british people um but yeah so uh he does the screenplay for the damned united the uh tom hooper soccer movie football movie which is also based on a novel um and then 2010 original screenplay Oh, a lot of light on it. A lot of expectation. 
Oscar favorite Clint Eastwood hereafter. And it's funny to me that like after hereafter, hereafter nevermore. Kind of, yes. Like kind of after hereafter, he's like, maybe I'll just do TV. Because it's just like hereafter well, he such rush, a disaster. Too. People like Rush. Yeah. I yeah, Rush is okay. Yes, he does the the screenplay for Ron Howard's Rush, which almost gets Daniel Bruhl an Oscar nomination. He came so tantalizingly close, I kind of feel bad that it didn't happen for him. Um, the interesting connection there, which is like, I'm sure like there is no uh, intent in there, but uh, one of the supporting players in Rush is Natalie Dormer, who came to fame playing Anne Boleyn in The Tudors. Did you watch The Tudors at all? No. So the Tudors was like the Tudors is kind of what the other Boleyn girl wanted to be a little bit, where even but though it was the Tudors, right? Because it was well, on Showtime. It was super horny. Like that was the defining characteristic of the Tudors. It's Jonathan Rhys Meyers playing Henry VIII in that, um, but like Natalie Dormer is in that. Henry Cavill is in that, and like like fully naked a few times. So like yay for Tudors. Um, Tudors always feels like a show to me, and it went for like a bajillion seasons. It like covered the entirety of the whole uh, Henry VIII saga in that. Um, but that is a show. It was on Showtime, and I always feel like Showtime TV shows, with like a couple exceptions, unless you're like Dexter or Weeds or I guess Shameless, kind of. But, like, a lot of shows that are on Showtime, I feel like, oh, if that were on HBO or Netflix today or something like that, like, way more people would talk about the Tudors. I think it would be, I think it would really have, like, caught on in a different way. Because it was, it's not a show I watched for very long, but I always sort of had, like, a little bit of an awareness of it. And it always just seemed incredibly horny and trashy and whatever. And it's like... I think that's a little bit of, like, what the other Boleyn girl could have gone towards and, like, been at least more interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. Listeners who watched The Tudors, like, chime in and uh, <laughs> and let me know. But I always will, because Natalie Dormer also was on uh, Game of Thrones, and I fucking loved her on Game of Thrones. Um, but she played Anne Boleyn. That, sh- that show wasn't about her in a way that like would have been like rad if like the Tudors was like Anne Boleyn like rad female of the time but she really really played that really well in a way that like was really incredibly compelling and that was the season of the Tudors that I ended up watching but it was really well cast and uh you know sort of lived in semi-silence on Showtime, which is too bad. (laughs) But anyway, a show that hasn't lived in silence at all, ever, is The Crown, and that's sort of what Peter Morgan is cashing checks with now, and probably for the rest of his life. Yes, it's an immensely popular show, but when it's not on the air, or recently on the air, I feel like it goes away. It does, but when it's back, though, everybody's fucking into it. Like, it's so big, I feel like. Maybe it's because I cover television, but like, no, no, I think it's a thing. It's a weird thing that it's like, it's a show that people don't dislike. Right. But like, they only ever talk about it while it's airing. And every time I'm like, well, at this point, people are kind of like, aren't people over the crown? And then it'll come back and it's like, and it's like, nope, people aren't like where I'm just like, is this really a good move for Olivia Coleman to like, 
duck back out of movies where she's doing so well and now she's gonna like make a tv show and it's like nope not a bad idea at all like gets a globe even though tv globes don't matter right like gets you know her emmy nominations and it's just like jillian anderson fucking playing you know a gorgon version of (laughs) margaret thatcher and everybody's just like give it to us woman like um yeah, or like, what's his face? The the um the British boy who looks like all the other British boys. Um, 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 um not George McKay. Um, not Callum um, Turner. The um, guy who was in God's Own Country, Josh O'Connor. Josh O'Connor. Everybody fucking loves him now. Everybody's like super into him. And also, by the way, we should say actor. Emerald Fennel uh, also uh, managed to pivot from The Crown to the kicking ass uh, directing promising young woman so like yeah the crown's been very good for everybody involved and peter morgan is probably cashing checks on checks on checks uh, uh getting that good netflix money and good for him but like i'm kind of not sad he's not really making movies anymore because he didn't make very many good ones even the ones that were like super successful like the queen and frost nixon which are both best picture nominees but i'm always like and I don't hate. No one cares about Frost Nixon. No one cares about Last Frost King Nixon. Of Scotland. I remember being a great movie, but that's more Kevin McDonald's movie and yes, Boris Whitaker's performance. And... Yeah, that's sort of how I feel. Yes, um, I was really bummed. I guess we can't put the whole responsibility of the American version of State of Play on him. That's a movie we should cover, by the way, one of these times. Oh, absolutely. That's another movie that was a fall release that got pushed into the spring. And another Kevin McDonald movie. Um, but I loved, I loved that miniseries so much. And hmm. uh, the... Give me time to watch the miniseries first, maybe. Okay, so you know the type of TV I will care about and I will not care about. Should I actually watch The Crown? I mean, there's some real good actressing in that, and you do love actresses. I think you would... I mean, I love Olivia Coleman, but like, she's done so much TV that I usually let the TV stuff go, and I will watch her movies. You should watch more of her TV, by the way. Her like early 2000s know, comedy I stuff know. is really weird, but she's it's like, if you loved Olivia Coleman, like lobster style, you would like a lot of her uh, like Mitchell and Webb stuff. Um I think it's uh, she's just really funny. Like every time I will post the number Wang sketch on YouTube and nobody knows what it's from, but it's just like but like a select few. It's always one of like if you know you know. But like she's just okay. I will look that show up. I don't need to watch like the cop shows. No, no, uh, no. Broadchurch is good. Like especially that first season, which is the only season I watched. Um, it's really good. But like if you've seen a single season cop, like. Police exactly. investigation drama for the last ten years. You've seen Broadchurch. It's exactly. it's in my opinion probably one of the best of them. But yeah, it's also incredibly well cast. So like whatever. Um, but like Helena Bonham Carter on The Crown as Princess Margaret is so so good that like I almost would recommend you watch just for that. I've also drifted from The Crown a lot. I'll watch like half a season and then just like never finish it or whatever. And so it's not like I'm like religious with The Crown. I haven't watched any of the Gillian Anderson season. So I can't really be the one to recommend one way or another. But like maybe jump in for the Olivia Coleman seasons and like see what you feel like about that. It can okay. be long and sort of drawn out and i do feel like you may end up losing patience with it but like you might not you might find the performances you know really good i know some people get really irked by ugh, why do we pay so much attention to the royals they're awful like you know wealth is a curse yada 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 i don't care about that shit so like 
whatever. But like, if that kind of stuff bothers you, then maybe also the crown is not for you. I mean, I like watching stories about bad people. <laughs> Sometimes it's the point that it's that they're bad people. That's the whole point of succession. Also, like, I've never been bothered by like our fascination with the royals it's like yeah it's fascinating like it it is i'm sorry it's just like uh, it doesn't that doesn't surprise me anyway we talked about natalie performance performan <laughs> neither of us can talk today <laughs> what in the world we've talked about that was a natalie performance it minute. was um well i was this is why i said that because like this is her fifth performance that we've talked about we've been on a little bit of a natalie binge in the last few months we've talked about this uh we've talked about goya's ghosts semi-recently and the life the death and life of john f donovan semi-recently and we had also a while ago talked about anywhere but here and brothers so it's feel like we've talked about natalie a lot i don't really feel like we need to get into her again too much but this comes at a really interesting juncture in her career mm-hmm. where the Star Wars movies are finally behind her. She also got over the hump of like she got that first Oscar nomination. She's not quite to Black Swan yet, but she did like 2008 is that period where she like V for Vendetta. Um, obviously, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, the most important film of her career. Uh, and then also, I would throw in there, and I always do, that Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live episode she did, where mm-hmm. she did the rap video. Like, that was all, I think, very crucial um, career management stuff for her, where she really made a transition into more diversified kinds of roles. Obviously, the other Boleyn girl isn't a daring choice, but, like, V for Vendetta is. And I mean, she was kind of shedding this reputation of being, like, a stuffy actress, or, yeah. like, because of the Star Wars movies, unfortunately, not a very good one. Right. Um, Which was never fair or true. It was just those are not good movies. Right. But you're right. But even something like The Other Boleyn Girl, where it's just like, yes, she's a, you know, a royal in this, where, like, I mean, technically she's a royal in the Star Wars movies, but, like, um, but it's like, she's, this movie at its best is her kind of being like, I'm a Royal, but I'm not boring. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. (laughs) And I think she's, she's brings, you know, some degree. She does have some exquisite line readings that feel like the version of the movie that we want it to be. Yes. There's that scene where um, she's back in England after being exiled to France, which by the way, I would have liked to have seen some of that. And she's sort of like, regaling her table by like essentially just like running down the French and running down the French King and Henry the eighth being the like, by the way, after we talk about Natalie, remind me, I do want to talk about Henry in this movie. Cause it's like Eric Bana. Oh boy. Um, but Natalie, so Henry is just like, you know, what's so basically like, what's so interesting? Like, uh, tell me what you're talking about. And then she proceeds to like, Talk about, like, a king should be uh, merciful but strong and whatever. And they're essentially just, like, eye-fucking in front of this entire uh, banquet hall. And I'm just like, y'all, like, this is a lot. But also, like, Natalie's really, like, commanding of that scene, which I think is really interesting. The be- the peak of the movie, though, is even earlier. It's before the hunt when Henry gets injured, and she's going to ride this horse without a saddle in front of him. Oh, he yes. Asks her how she's going to do that, and she says, the same way you will, 
with my thighs. And I was like, ma'am. <laughs> ah, madam. Yeah, for real. Even, uh, you know, if uh, if you are a fellow uh, fan of thighs, yes. um, it worked for me. Yeah. So, all right. The, the fact that so much of the plot of this movie is essentially, um, we have to babysit Henry VIII at every waking moment with, like, available ass, or else he's gonna, like, ruin the country. Like, it was... A king that is so H-word, he's willing to piss off the entire Catholic Church. Henry VIII in this movie, like, defined horny on Maine, and by Maine, we mean, like, while he's trying to, like, run a, a kingdom. Um... To the fact that, like, Mary has her, uh, almost has a miscarriage, but then, like, kept, keeps the baby, but has to remain, like, in bed. Uh, and, like, being, like, very carefully taken care of for the last stages of her pregnancy. And everybody, like, the entire, like, uh, Boleyn family uh, uh, brain trust is like, oh, fuck, he's gonna, like... He's going to find another girl to have sex with. He's going to, like, move on from her tomorrow. So, like, what are we going to do? Bring Anne back from France and, like, literally just, like, stand in front of him and, like, shove your cleavage in his face so he doesn't, like, sway away from Mary. And it's just, like, and so many points in this movie, that's essentially the thing, where it's just, like, Anne gives birth to a girl and then she's just, like, fuck, he's already going to move on to somebody else. And it's just, like, this all does have basis in fact. Like, the whole thing about Henry VIII is that, like, you know, he moved on from from wife to wife to wife and it was a whole thing. Um, C6 the musical on Broadway when it comes back to, uh, when theater comes back. But, um... I don't know. It just felt very comical. And also the fact that at the same time, the costuming on him is fucking hilarious. Like when I made the joke about shoulder pads in the beginning, like I was not kidding. It looks like he is wearing a legitimate, like full set of like NFL linebacker shoulder pads. And then yeah, on top I of was that. interested in like, what did they actually put on Eric Bana's slender body? Yes. I mean, he's beefy, but he's, he's a slender man to like, Build out his shoulders so that that could physically sit on there. It looked like there was like, like a Klaus Nomi thing underneath. If you if you told me that underneath those like bear skins that were like draped over his shoulders, like fucking Alexis Carrington decided to play for the Los Angeles Raiders, like uh, uh, <laughs> if you told me that undergirding all of that was like a wireframe cage that they had to put under to like support it, I would absolutely believe you because it's wildly insane. It's so funny. Every time he I walks got on screen. so nervous anytime a character in this movie like got close to an open fire because Eric Bana, when he's in full <laughs> linebacker mode, would have gone up in flames. Yes. The meme that's going around uh, right now of uh, tell me when your body was fire, Eric Bana <laughs> in Henry VIII getting caught in a fire. Yeah. Also, and his like... And I've liked Eric Bana in a lot of things, but like his primary acting choice in this is to scowl. It's just like yeah, scowly Henry the Eighth. And between that and the fact that like he's his head is so easily turned, and I'm just like, this is just a really dumb characterization of Henry the Eighth. And I don't know. 
it's I mean, it's starting rough. the whole Church of England to have sex with Anne Boleyn, which, like, maybe there's some historical accuracy to that, but I just feel like it wouldn't have been just for that. Like, they probably had sex before that happened, yeah. right? Like, right. there's other political machinations. This movie's not really... Right. This movie's even, really like, trying to sell you on the idea that, like, Anne Boleyn, like, Lysistrata'd uh, Henry VIII into leaving the Church of England, which is, like, a very, like, Yoko broke up the Beatles view of English history that I'm sure has, like, uh, some basis in, like you said, some basis in fact, but then probably... But maybe, like, 10% basis right, in fact. Right. Like, this movie is not interested in any other of the, like, global political dynamics at the time that like would have contextualized this in a way that like, again, like you don't come to this movie for historical accuracy, but like the lack of historical like thought this movie really has makes it not good. Hey, Chris. Yes. Talk to me about the teen choice awards. Okay. So we don't have any precursors to talk about for the, uh, other Boleyn girl because it was such an early release and it wasn't well reviewed. What did happen? Um, uh, the teens watched the movie and said, hello, Teen Choice Awards, Scarlett Johansson, we're going to nominate you for this movie for choice movie actress. It's Not wild Emily, that of the two Scarlett. of them, they picked out Scarlett. I just, I don't know, man. Maybe Mary's more relatable to a teen Maybe. audience or something. Maybe. However... This, to me, is maybe the most or second most conceivable that a teen audience actually watched this movie against ScarJo's other nominees, which I'm going to challenge you to guess. Okay. 2008. So there's four. Scarlett didn't win. One actress, the actress who did win, famous for a franchise at this point, wasn't Oscar nominated for the performance, but it was a Best Picture nominee. In 2008. 2007. This is definitely oh, on this, the, like... gotcha. It's, like, on an MTV Movie Awards schedule. This was probably the summer of 08. So this was a Best Picture nominee in 07. Is that what you said? Yes. The winner for Choice Movie Actress from the Teen Choice Awards. Is it Elliot Page from Juno? It is not Elliot Page. It is somebody who wasn't nominated. I think you might have missed me saying that. Oh, I think I probably did miss you saying that. Okay. Um, Is it Kira Knightley in Atonement? It was Kira Knightley in Atonement. Wow. Good for her. Good for Kira. Good for all those teens watching Atonement. (laughs) True. Okay. The other three not Oscar nominees. One is a performance we've talked about because we talked about this movie. Oh, okay. Um, God, we talked about so many movies. Um, is it a... From 07. From 07. Famous actress. But... Teens would have liked her. Not, not Natalie. Not Natalie. Okay. Already an Oscar winner at this point. Oh. Kate? No. No. No, she hadn't... Yes, she had. She had won supporting by then. Um, already an Oscar winner by this point. Gwyneth? Uh, semi-recently Oscar winner. Uh, this Renee. movie... No. Um, this actress starred in the movie with someone they were dating. Or started to date after the movie. Oh, God. They were an Oscar winner by this point. 
Reese. Reese. In fucking rendition? Teen Choice Award. No! Choice Movie Actress nominee. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> rendition. That is insane to me. Oh my god. All right, There's so we got no chance in hell you will get the other two. I don't even know how I would give you clues for this, but uh, the conceivable one that teens watch this movie, Carrie Russell nominated for August Rush. Sure. And then for the poker movie, also with Jim Sturgis, 21, Kate Bosworth. I was going to say, who is the girl in, in 21? It is Kate Bosworth. August Rush, one of the uh, stranger Oscar nominees of uh, the 2000s. The fact that that's... Song nominee. Yeah, it's a song nominee. That's crazy. All right, now I want to look at the other... Uh, Teen Choice Awards uh, that year. That Elliot won. Page did win for comedy, so that's great. Good, very good. Um, Jessica Alba is the actress winner for The Eye for horror thriller. Wow, The Eye, not The Eye. Oh my God, Choice Fanatic for fans. <laughs> um, uh, David Archuleta. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that tracks. That fully this tracks. Was, uh, in now the, I know exactly when that was period. happening. Uh, did yep. you know that Scarlett Johansson has been nominated for 15 Teen Choice Awards? How many not in the MCU? Um, okay, a lot of these nominations are for multiple movies at once, but I'm counting the nominations as uh, singular. So one, sure. two, three, four, five... Uh, five. Five. This was, uh, the other Boleyn Girl was her fourth Teen Choice nomination in five years. Wow. Uh, nominated for Breakout Movie Star Female for Lost in Translation and The Perfect Score. Uh, Naturally. Choice Movie Actress Drama nominee for In Good Company. Choice Movie Actress Drama nominee for both The Prestige and The Black Dahlia in 2007 then the other boleyn girl all those teens watching the black dahlia then everything after the other boleyn girl is an mcu nomination including things like choice movie lip lock her and chris evans in the winter soldier um choice movie chemistry uh captain american civil war with it's just um the people on the iron man side of things in civil war it's her and Robert Downey Jr. and Don Cheadle and Paul Bettany and Chadwick Boseman. Now I want to see if they nominated the other half for uh, to to oppose them. Hold on a second. Yes, they did. They nominated the cat the uh, Captain America faction against them. That's so funny. Teens are insane. They all lost, by the way, to the kids from the Maze Runner: The Scorch Trials. Oh, you know, the Maze Runner had to get something. He had to get something. But so the only non-MCU nomination after the other Berlin Girl at the Teen Choice Awards for Scarlet was 2012 Choice Movie Actress Drama for uh, We Bought a Zoo. Oh. So. Okay. Good job. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention... Uh, the Teen Choice Awards were the true stands of rendition because they also nominated Jake Gyllenhaal and Choice Movie Actor in a Drama. Wow. Okay. These. Okay. Where do, this is clearly they just like this performer. Yeah. Right. They didn't see these movies. 
the other nominees against rendition in the actor category are stop loss which won for channing tatum and was also nominated for ryan Phillippe. beautiful that was also marketed to like the mtv audience pretty uh, heavily too well i i think that might have been a latter day uh mtv films movie might have been it was paramount yeah i'm pretty sure um other nominees into the wild for emile hirsch and for mark Wahlberg. We own the night. Yeah, all these teens. Those teens were living James for James Gray, Gray movies. <laughs> uh, what was their best movie? Um, I'm trying to find IMDb. Is very. Uh, oh, I guess they didn't do. They God, do drama. It's going to be comedy. like choice movie director Hong Sang Soo. <laughs> Actually, okay, choice movie drama is very teen appropriate. I will say it's Step Up to the Streets, which deserves step up to the streets fucking rules and uh i'm glad it beat out other teen sensations august rush and into the wild so uh very good there um choice movie comedy tv looking for love is the bachelor wins also nominated with the bachelorette flavor of love tequila tequila i love new york and rock of love with brett michaels uh justice for tequila tequila that was her era i feel like um juno wins uh, choice movie comedy over Super bad, kind of an upset, but like uh, good for Juno. Baby Mama, semi pro, and of course, we all know uh, the seminal film College Road Trip with Martin Lawrence Ooh. and Raven Simone. So, okay. That. God love you, Teen Choice Awards. What a time. What a time. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about uh, in regards to the other Boleyn Girl before we get into the IMDb game? Oh, we could maybe spare a little moment to talk about uh, the great Sandy Powell. You, okay, so I think I know what track you're on with the costumes in this movie that you're like, they're a lot sometimes. It it feels, a, not to be, not to call it costumey, but it does, it's... It does. They do kind of draw attention to themselves in a way that it feels like the movie is relying on them and like has no point of view so they hire sandy powell to make some visual interest yeah like sandy powell is truly the goat yeah she it is weird that she went for a statement green dress the year after atonement yeah like that's a choice i mean it would have been the same year initially as atonement right. so it would have been like the year of the green dress right right oh we were robbed of that story um there's a moment where uh scarlet is sort of recuperating uh in her sick bed and they bring natalie back from france to babysit king arthur's dick essentially and she goes to visit her, and she's super mean. And at one point, she just goes, do you feel as awful as you look? And I'm just like, the library is open. And <laughs> uh, she read her down. That was very funny. Um, the eye-fucking scene in the dining hall. Uh, oh, I thought it was funny that when uh, Mary Boleyn marries uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character... They refer to her very briefly uh, as her name is Mary Carey. His last name was Carey. And mm-hmm. uh, famously, Mary Carey was, of course, a porn star who ran for, I'm pretty sure, governor of California at one point. So uh, that made me chuckle. Uh, yeah. 
Mark Rylance and David Morrissey are like despicable in this movie. But um, all of the research that I uh, did on this movie, uh, Mark Rylance absolutely hates this movie. Really, you can tell while watching it that he <laughs> hates being there. He it's does. been a while since I've seen a performance where you can just so yeah. plainly see that a performer is miserable. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, Thomas Boleyn is supposed to be this sort of like wretched, like uh, piece of shit, but yeah. Also, every other time when, like, the girls are talking about, like, mom married for love and look at what fucking idiot she ended up with. <laughs> like, that's always kind of funny to me. Um, what else? I think that was everything that I had written down. So, yeah. The other Boleyn girl. Worse than I remembered it. Unforch. Yeah. All right. Do you want to play the IMDb game? Heck yeah. Let's do it. All right. Tell the people, tell the children what the IMDb game is. You guys, you guys, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Yeah. That's what we do here. IMDb game. Okay, so... I'll give to you first, I believe. Let's oh, do you have a plan, I believe. No, it's not really a plan. I just wanna uh I just wanna get in first. So uh I uh, unlike me, I didn't go through uh the director route because Justin Chadwick doesn't have a ton to work with there. Um but we mentioned earlier when we were talking about Scarlett Johansson that one of her tw- 2008 movies that was actually really good was Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And good cast in that movie, as almost all Woody Allen movies are. Uh, One of the sort of... This was a little bit of a breakout period for this guy. He, uh, between 2008 and 2009, he played Rebecca Hall's husband in this film. I'm going to give you uh, Chris Messina. My answer for best Chris, whenever that stupid talking point comes back. It's a very good Chris. Chris Messina... Love him. Hot husband or boyfriend and things. Yep. Yanking on the television screen, on my television screen in sharp objects. True. Um, I refuse to acknowledge his blonde-headed era. No, it's a um, good era. I love blonde-headed fuckboy Chris Messina in I Harley Quinn. It. It's so good. Um, Birds of Prey is so much fun, though. Okay, Messina. Lots to work with here quite a bit this is going to be hard is there any television nope okay no sharp objects no mindy project right. then no the sinner right um no uh six feet under where he shows up at the end and marries claire oh um okay well i'm gonna have to say julie and julia no and it's uh, it's the fact that Julia Julia doesn't show up for as many people as it should show up for on IMDb game is a flaw in the that website. That movie's been on Netflix for a while. Yeah, and like people have been. It like, was it was a like quarantine crazy. comfort watch so early in quarantine for me. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Hmm, this is really throwing me already. Then. Um. It's also that he's in a lot of ensembles. He's in a lot of ensembles. He's like he's like. 10th build in a lot of things like uh, i just thought of argo i'm just gonna say argo yep. best picture winner correct probably there yep 
That's stupid. It is, but um, there it is. I watched the trailer for Argo last night for whatever reason. I was I, oh, it's because I was uh, it's a good trailer. Yeah. Um, I was looking up Ben Affleck for something else, and I watched it, and it's just, I remember it being a good trailer, a better trailer than it was, but, like, I forgot that, like, the end of it is, like, Aerosmith's Dream On, and I'm just like, why? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but it's not even, like, a, a gritty, slowed-down acoustic cover of Dream On. No, it's just regular Dream On. It's weird. It's super yeah, weird. Yeah, that's gonna be to, like... Uh, I don't know. Whatever the hell, that'll happen someday. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Messina. <sighs> what else is he in? He's just one of those ensemble actors. He was just in She Dies Tomorrow. I don't think that's going to be there, but he's good in it. Jamin Adams is great in it. Correct. Um, he is in. He's in Away We Go. I'm going to guess that just to get my years. Well, you're not going to get your years because you're right. He is uh, Away We Go. It's one this of his is known for. getting weird, He's guys. really good in Away We Go, though. He has, like, Everybody's two good in that movie. That's my favorite part of that movie is him and Melanie Linsky in Montreal. Like, I adore that scene, those scenes, so much. Yeah. Um. Okay. What else am I remembering him being in? Uh, well, we, wait, you said Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I'm going to say Vicky Cristina Barcelona. No, strangely enough, not that. All right. So that's two strikes. You're going to get your years. Your years are 2010 and 2012. Okay. So post Julie and Julia. Yes. Um, one also the same year as Argo. Correct. I wonder what that is. That one, I will say, I don't remember him being in this. He's like... How many down? One, two. Oh, weirdly, he's third build, but I, I don't remember him a ton in it. Huh. Um, the direct the uh from the. How do I phrase this without giving it away? Um, written by the lead actress in it, starring a couple. And the lead actress is a couple with the person and they star in the movie. Yes. And the directorial pedigree is from a Best Picture nominee that wasn't a Best Director nominee. It's Ruby Sparks. I was trying to get around saying directors because I'm like, well, that'll give it away. <laughs> I, I could tell you were trying to get around uh, saying that. All right, I gave it away. Yeah, okay. Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris from The Little Miss Sunshine directed Ruby Sparks. A movie watch Ruby that is better than, I, than its reception. I thought Ruby Sparks was a I more interesting movie it. than it got credit for. Did you like it? Is Weird that stuff said? in that movie. Yeah, I remember liking it. It's, it's one of those movies that you think it's the bad thing, and then it becomes a commentary on the bad thing that you think it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people just sort of stopped at the first part and didn't really bother to uh, latch on to the second part, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, seek that out. Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan in Ruby Sparks. Okay, so your last one. 2010 i'm pretty sure he's like the lead in it but it is sort of like the lead of a small little ensemble yeah he's first build um oh well that's why he's yeah why it's probably on his imdb yeah um 
the director of this movie doesn't really make an impression, but it's the producer of this movie that was really notable at the time. Is it like a Jerry Bruckheimer produced movie? No, not that. Once I tell you the story of it, you'll get it right away. But it was a movie where um, the producer of this movie had been a little bit out of the spotlight for a few years. And his association with this movie um, made people incredulous. Incredulous? Like, is this somebody who we didn't want around and that's why they weren't there? When this trailer played in theaters and this producer's name appeared in the credit. Uh, people laughed a lot. Okay. So it's kind of someone who's a punchline. Yes, and definitely at the time, because the movie has last... At the time, are they not a punchline anymore? To some people, they are. Uh, I, and in fact... Um, to wide audiences. Some, like, it's it's very... It's one of those things where, like, if you appreciate the wavelength that he's on... Um, you are into it. You don't like this person's last several movies, and the fact that I'm super excited for his next movie uh, is a little bit lost on you. Oh, it's uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Fucking old. old is, no. I no. cannot freaking wait to see that movie. I will watch old until I am old. that it's based on. Um, I will be old by the time I am uh, uh, sick and tired of talking about old. That's... Listen, I am grateful for the movie Old just to be titled Old because it's going to give us a lot of jokes that will make me very happy because I am very what? Stupid. I'm so excited Um, for Old. Okay, but M. Night Shyamalan produced this, didn't direct it. Yes. 2010. He did... Was it... He produced a couple movies, I think. I can only remember the elevator one i was gonna say the poster for this movie didn't see is an upside is is pretty cool it's an elevator door that you can see light coming from behind it in the shape of an upside down cross which i find very cool oh it's called devil it's called devil it's it's a movie how stupid is the movie that's a bunch of people stuck in an elevator and one of them is secretly the devil and i was so into that premise and it's not a good movie unfortunately um, directed by uh, John Eric Dowdle, who had done, I want to say, the American uh, Quarantine, the uh, the remake of uh, that Spanish movie Wreck, and that movie The Poughkeepsie Tapes that like never came out. Ah, uh, yes. Do you remember? Um, yeah, Devil wasn't good, but oh, I wanted Devil to be good. He also directed As Above, So Below, which... I feel like which also people hated. Yeah, but like got a weird nomination somewhere at like No, maybe didn't. I feel like for so oh, it, no, you know what? As above so below shows up on somebody's IMDb game. That's what it is. Oh, it's his uh, our friend uh and former guest Tara Ariano uh texted me recently and was just like you will not fucking believe who's on Ben Feldman's known for. <laughs> It's like the most unwell thing ever. And one of them is as above, so below. That's what that's what I was thinking of. And I was like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Although now I look at it and it's changed since she asked me because now at least one of them makes a little bit more sense. Um, 
yeah anyway all right hit me with yours cool okay so for you i did actually go down the justin chadwick route like you said not a lot of options there i did pull up uh idris elba for uh mandela long walk to freedom which um if you want to talk about wild uh i am uh, known for as imdb games idris elba's about made me fall out of my chair because like justice for idris elba's imdb um it's beasts of no nation should be there makes sense the losers (laughs) i feel like the losers has showed up on somebody else's as well and then just like why um for ragnarok which like i like ragnarok but uh, come on better for idris elba and then star trek beyond which i like as well fully forgot he's the villain and he is the villain in that yeah it's true yeah that's insane that like i mean i get that like the wire was a long time ago but like it's really weird that the wire or luther i guess even uh isn't one of them yeah weird everybody was watching molly's game put molly's game on there a movie i don't like but like uh or put obsessed on there because obsessed is an important of our time yeah Anyway, I actually went into Justin Chadwick's TV route, the one that got him probably the job on Other Bolane Girl, uh, Charles Dickens' Bleak House, which he did a miniseries of, and uh, one of its headliners was Gillian Anderson. Yeah, she got a lot of good reviews for that. Okay. I am also challenging you on this because I wanted to do something we haven't really had much of. She has three TV roles. All right. I was going to say how much TV. All right. One of them is the X-Files. It is the X-Files. Is one of them already the crown? No. Okay. Is one of them Hannibal? No. Okay. So I'm giving you your years, which means uh, TV, I will give the years that they aired. Uh, one of them is 2013 to 2016. Another is just 20, uh, 2005. And then the movie is 2006. Is the movie The Last King of Scotland? It is The Last King of Scotland. People forget that she's in that movie. All right. Um, 2005, is that what you said? Uh, yes. Is that Bleak House? It's Bleak House. Right. I didn't realize that if I gave you years, it would get a lot easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. TV years, it does get a lot easier. Okay. What's the other one? Uh, to, uh, you only have one left. It's 2013 to 2016. Okay. I feel like that's too too soon for the fall. I feel like the fall was when I was working at Decider. But I could be wrong. I'm trying to think of what other TV. It's too early for American Gods. Um, is this something obvious that people are going to be yelling at their uh, uh, phones? That I they might, might be yelling, but I don't know if it's because it's obvious. Oh no, I don't know what that means. Okay, um, <laughs> it means I'm an asshole. It means I'm being an asshole. Is it the fall? It's the fall. I for some reason I thought that was later than that by a few years. Okay. Also starring uh, the sensation of many sensations in Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan is very, very funny in Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. He is not as funny as all of the cameos, which are all like A-plus stellar, and I'm not going to say what they are, but like they're so good. The Piano Man in Barb and Star, I think, is <laughs> one of my like top three things in Barb and Star. 
There's so much to love in that movie. Um, it is a real tit flapper. Um, the fact that Kristen Wiig at moments in that movie looks so much like Vera Farmiga like freaks me out. But like, <laughs> you'll get it when you see it. And Kate Blanchett. I keep seeing people saying she's yeah? Kate Blanchett. Oh, it's I, it's I all I see is Vera. Um, it's very funny. Like every third line reading from uh, Annie Momolo is so funny. Just. Just the inflection she puts on it is amazing. Next time we're together and we're just like walking somewhere, I'm just gonna grab you and be like, "Oh, shells," <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's really, really good. Okay, um, yeah, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. If you have not already, uh, do yourself the world's biggest favor and watch that. All right, good IMDb games. Good times. All right. Great IMDb game. All right. That is our episode, though. If you want more of This at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Christopher, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. Cool. I am also on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm on Letterboxd as well as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with our Apple Podcasts visibility so please write us a nice letter telling everyone why you are not choosing to behead us and we would be most grateful that is all we don't need your love all we need is six good reviews all right that is all for this week but we hope we'll be back next week for more buzz all i need is six we're one